0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, God never loses. He never loses. Sometimes we might struggle to believe that. For example, when you look at this world, you can see so many people living in unbelief on the side of the devil. And the number of Christians compared to non-Christians, it seems so small. And when you see that, maybe you wonder at times, you know, is is Satan going to win? For all, it seems like everyone is following him. And that kind of thing can happen more often. Just think about the book of Judges, for example. God appeared to be, in a way, if I could put it that way, losing throughout the book of Judges. His plans and his promises seem to come to nothing. Look at the apostasy of Israel again and again. Looked like nothing but a downward spiral of disobedience and judgment. Think also of the Samson story. No one in Israel joins Samson in the fight. Samson himself is far from the picture of holiness. And the judge dies before the battle against the enemy is complete. And this is the first time in the book of Judges that has happened. But even though at times it might look to our eyes that God is somehow losing the battle, we are called to live by faith and not by sight. God cannot lose and he will not lose against his enemies. Even when he appears to be defeated, he will be victorious. We see this also in our text This morning, and those who do live by faith in God and His promises, they will also be victorious in Him. And so, I preach you God's word under the following theme and points: The Lord delivers His people through the death of their judge. We're going to look at first of all the Samson's greatest act of strength, Uh, secondly uh, Samson's greatest act of weakness, and finally the Lord's act of strength through weakness. So in the, in the first section of our text, Samson shows his reckless side once more, and there we read, Samson went to Gaza in Philistine territory, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And what can we say about this except that this is downright sinful? There's no excusing it. Perhaps there's a measure of pride behind Samson's actions. God had given him incredible strength and incredible victory so far. He was God's chosen servant. Maybe this gave him the idea he could do what he wanted without consequence. How dangerous that thinking is. If we ever think sin has no consequences, then we're about to have a rude awakening. Samson's sin would eventually find him out, as we're going to see later on. And so we must be on guard, too. Guard, first of all, against pride. God may have given you talents, abilities, even spiritual gifts, but that in no way gives us a pass to embrace sin. Guard also against this cavalier attitude towards sin. Sin has consequences, it would have consequences for Samson too. Now, when the Philistines were told that Samson was in Gaza, they they sensed another opportunity. And so they, they set an ambush for Samson all night at the gate of the city. There's probably some inner rooms they could enter into there. And they said, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. See, this time they think they have their man. Samson is hemmed in, he is surrounded. But Samson was not about to stay until morning. In fact, he got up at midnight and began to leave. And when he made it to the city gates, you you might think he would just try climb over them or climb over the wall somehow. But instead, we see the greatest act of physical strength from Samson yet. Sanson grabbed the doors of the city, pulled them out of the ground, possibly out of the city wall if they were stuck in the city wall too, along with the two foundation posts and the crossbar. And this is nothing short of stunning. This is mind blowingly strong. It would have been incredible to see. The city gates were meant to withstand an enemy attack. The amount of force needed to pull them up probably rivals some of our modern machinery. But after pulling them, them up, Samson, he didn't even stop there. Instead of tossing them to the side and making a quick escape, Samson hoisted the gates onto his shoulders. He then carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron in Israel. And this was a long way. Samson journeyed about 60 kilometers here with these gates. That's a, that's a marathon and a half away from Gaza. See, that's like carrying these gates from, from downtown Winnipeg all the way to Steinbach. That's how far Samson traveled with these gates. And not only that, uh, along the way, Samson had to gain about 900 meters of elevation. So, this was a a stunning feat. And this feat by Samson, it sent a message to the Philistines. If they want to get Samson, they're going to need a new strategy. You see, Samson showed great feats of strength before, and after all those times, the Philistines still thought they could get their man. But this was on another level altogether. You can almost hear them saying after Gaza's city gates were pulled out, how is this even possible? Did Samson fall into a cauldron of magic potion when he was a baby or something? If they want any hope of winning this battle, they need to discover the secret to his great strength. And that sets up uh, the next section of the story. However, before we get there, we should see that this event served not only as a message for the Philistines, it also served a message for Israel, God's people. Sanson placed the city gates on one of the highest hills in this area, in, in, in Judea. And many Israelites could have had the opportunity to see them there sitting on that hill. After all, no one was going to move these gates anytime soon. And what message should Israel have taken from these gates sitting there? Well, they should have seen the Lord fulfilling His promises through Samson. And what promise was that? Well, way back in Genesis 22 we have that important chapter where the Lord tested Abraham, telling him to sacrifice Isaac. Well, we know that Abraham proceeded in faith, he did not actually have to kill Isaac, but he proceeded in faith. And after he did that, the angel of the Lord declared, "This promise of God, by myself I have sworn declares the Lord." Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And here in this story, we have Samson, the offspring or seed of Abraham, possessing the gates of his enemies. He rips them out and carries them into Israel. These are mine. And by laying these gates in the land of Israel at Hebron, Israel is now possessing the gates of their enemies. These are are now ours, Philistia. And so Israel should have seen that the Lord was fulfilling his promises through Samson. Should have seen that Samson was God's chosen deliverer and chosen servant. God's blessing promised to Abraham would also come about through Samson. So they should have joined him in the battle. But Israel does not see it. And it was the same thing with Jesus Christ, the ultimate Savior. Israel did not recognize their Savior, Jesus Christ, when He came. They did not see that He was the great offspring of Abraham through whom God's promises are fulfilled. You see, it's through Christ that the blessings promised to Abraham come to God's people. It's through Christ that we possess the gates of our enemies. In Matthew 16, the apostle Peter rightly saw who Jesus was when so many in Israel did not. He professed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In response, Christ declared, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ is the ultimate seed of Abraham. He's God's chosen Savior of his people. It's through him that the blessings promised to Abraham come to us who believe in Christ. And in Christ, we will possess the gates of our enemies. And in Christ, the gates of our enemies will not overcome the church, as Christ himself declared Brings us to our second point. So the removal of the city gates was Samson's greatest act of physical strength, but right away we see triumph turned into tragedy. Verse 4 shows Samson getting into trouble again. Here it says, After this, Samson loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Unsurprisingly, the Valley of Sorek was mainly in Philistine territory. But with this, the Philistines, they sense another opportunity to get Samson. But this time, they're not going to take any chances. They know they will first need to uncover the secret of Samson's strength. And that's what this second section is all about. This section with Delilah, it's all about answering this question, what is the source of Samson's strength? And here the Philistines, they turn to Delilah for help. The top men of the Philistines each offer her 1,100 pieces of silver, a huge sum of money. They're willing to pay big money to get their man. And it was more than enough to convince Delilah to do some detective work. So she approached Samson with an innocent facade and asked him, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. But here we see Samson is not about to give up his secrets so easily. And so he simply made something up. They bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dry, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. You know, perhaps Samson thought giving Delilah this answer would, would satisfy her, and she would just leave it there. Samson was greatly mistaken. Delilah hid some Philistines in an inner chamber of her house, setting an ambush. And soon afterwards, probably during the night, Delilah bound Samson with the bowstrings. She called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Well, not surprisingly, the bowstrings were no match for Samson. And then the text gives that key statement so the secret of his strength was not known. That's key. Now, Samson was not harmed in any way by this first exchange. However, alarm bells should have been ringing in his head. Delilah asked him what the secret of his strength was. Well, oh, perhaps she was just curious, as any of us might be. But when Samson discovered his arms tied in bowstrings, you, you think he would have thought to himself, hmm, I told Delilah I would become weak if... I was tied with seven fresh bowstrings, and now she tied me with seven fresh bowstrings. And then she told me the Philistines were upon me. I wonder why she might do that. Do you think something fishy is going on here? But for some reason, Samson doesn't seem to get the hint, or maybe he just thinks he can play some games. But Delilah wasn't about to quit. She presses him again. So the same thing happened with the ropes. When that fails, the same, same thing happens with his hair weaved into the loom. And when you read that, you can't help but shake your head at what's going on. Perhaps as we read this text together, there's also a measure of frustration in your mind. Samson, wake up. Delilah's up to no good. What are you doing? That's great, of course, that Samson up to this point hasn't told her the secret of his great strength. However, you can see that he might be getting closer with the story about weaving his hair into the loom. What should Samson have done here? Well, he should have never gone to Delilah in the first place. But with Delilah doing this, he should have gotten out of there in a hurry. Not even thinking twice, why play with fire? He should have heeded the words of Proverbs 27, verse 12, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. You see, this is what sin does. Temptation makes us do dangerous things. Sin makes us act foolishly to our own hurt. No, we might shake our head at Samson and, and we should. But let us give our own head a shake when it comes to our own temptations. See, temptation, it will blind you to the consequences of sin, it will blind you. And if you give temptation enough time to work, eventually you will just act on it, no matter what, no matter what may come. So, we must watch and pray, beloved. Do not give the devil a foothold, Is there any area you are tempted by sin right now? Well, flee from it. Don't play around with it. Make sure you guard your heart, guard your steps. As we see in her text, Delilah didn't stop. She pressed Samson so hard until he was vexed in his soul, and finally he just told her everything. A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. My head is shaved, and my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Delilah knows now. She knows Samson has told her the truth. And so the Philistines came one more time, bringing the money with them. When Samson slept, she had someone shave his head. The text says his strength left him. That's only one part of the story. Remember, this section is all about uncovering the secret of Samson's strength. And So notice what it says in the very next verse. When Samson awoke, he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That the Lord had left him. See, at the end of the day, the secret to Samson's great strength was not his hair. It was God. It was the Lord. And yes, his hair showed his dedication to God as a Nazarite, and so it served as a connection to that status. However, in the end, the Lord is his great strength as we see here. When God was with Samson, No one could stand against him. But without God on his side, Samson is nothing. And the same goes for us, beloved. You see, by his actions, Samson here gives a picture of all Israel. As Samson kept chasing after foreign women, so Israel kept chasing after foreign gods, foreign idols. In fact, Israel's idolatry was so often described as spiritual adultery against the Lord. And both Samson and Israel seem to have taken the Lord's presence for granted. They have forgotten that the Lord's presence was a gift of grace. Grace. And they aren't concerned at all for holiness or serving the Lord or shunning evil. They only assume that God will always be there no matter what. How dangerous that thinking is. Samson here is learning the hard way that the Lord can't be mocked. And Israel will learn that painful lesson too Eventually. And we must learn that lesson also. See, God is present in His church. In fact, the New Testament church is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that presence of God in the church is a gift of grace, pure grace by God. And may we never take it for granted. May we seek. Holiness and purity out of reverence for God. He is among us, beloved. You know, other churches throughout church history have failed to do this very thing and to their own hurt. You know, I think only of some of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. For example, Christ said to the church in Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or, or hot. And so, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Samson took God's presence for granted, lived as he pleased. But now the Lord left him, and he was without strength. At this point, the Philistines finally got their man. They seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. And there's Samson ground at the mill in prison. That brings us to our last point. Samson had hit rock bottom. All hope seemed to be lost. But verse 22, it gives us that interesting detail. Uh, The hair of Samson's head began to grow again. Now, again, I must stress It's not that Samson's hair itself gave him that strength. But yes, the hair symbolized his special connection to Yahweh, who was his strength. And so with this detail here about his hair starting to grow again, we get a hint that perhaps the Lord has not abandoned Samson completely, which is indeed the case. The Philistines, however, they thought victory was completely secured. And so they threw a huge party Thousands of Philistines attended, uh, all the governors of the land, lots of the women as well. And they praised Dagon their God for this victory. And while they celebrated, they they called for Samson to come entertain them. And so Samson was brought out so they could cheer and, and jeer over him. But at this most humiliating moment, we see an act of faith. Samson called upon the Lord. He said, O Lord Yahweh, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And after being led to the pillars upon which the house rested, Samson, he he put his hands on them. Then he prayed again, let me die with the Philistines. He then bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords, upon all the people who were in it. And it says, so the dead whom Samson killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Now, what's the message we need to take away from this last part of our text? Well, first of all, we should see the irony in this event. The Philistines thought they had won. In fact, there was no doubt in their minds. Here they are mocking Samson. The Philistines thought their God was victorious. But the Philistines do not have the eyes of faith, they do not understand that the Lord God cannot lose. All they can see is that Samson has been humiliated. They do not understand that the Lord, who is the only God, was Samson's strength all along. They do not understand that the Lord can strengthen him at any moment again. And this is a classic mistake of those who do not have faith. Something the fallen mind just does not understand. For the fallen mind, the only way to win is through brute strength or human cunning, and it disregards God and his power. And the fallen mind believes you defeat your opponent through sheer, sheer human power and violence. They, they do not understand the truth we read about in 1 Corinthians 1 the foolishness of God. Is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And that's not to say that God is foolish or weak. But God uses what is foolish and weak in the eyes of unbelievers to defeat their strength and wisdom. He does this to gain glory for himself. You see, all throughout the Samson story, God has been working to put the Philistines to shame. And he's essentially been drawing them into this trap. They've been thinking all this time, we need to get Samson, we need to kill him. If we capture and kill Samson, we've got it made. We will have the victory. And finally they capture him, finally Samson dies, and it turns out to be their own defeat. The Lord delivered the Israelites to the death of their judge. And we see this sort of thing not only in Samson, but in our Lord Jesus Christ. God had not only been drawing the Philistines into a trap uh, with Samson, but ever since the fall, God was working to draw the devil into a similar trap. What's one reason the Old Testament often is so violent? Because God was drawing Satan into a trap. The devil, too, thinks his battle against God is won with sheer power and violence and cunning. And the religious leaders in Jesus' day, too, under the influence of Satan, they believed this. Throughout Christ's ministry, they kept plotting how they might kill the Lord Jesus. And like the Philistines with Delilah, the religious leaders offered Judas pieces of silver to betray Jesus into their hands. And when Judas did betray Christ, Jesus was delivered into the hands of sinful men. And after capturing him, they humiliated him. Like Samson with his eyes gouged out, Jesus Christ was blindfolded by Roman soldiers and beaten for sport. And then they crucified Jesus Christ on the cross thinking they had won. As Christ hung from the cross they mocked him thinking they were victorious. They mocked Christ during his weakest moment thinking they had gotten rid of their problem. And you can be sure that the devil was celebrating too. But they did not understand that by crucifying Jesus they were sealing their own defeat. And that's why it's said in 1 Corinthians 2, which we read, "...among the mature, mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." The cross of Christ is the ultimate act, moment of humiliation, weakness, and defeat. But by the death of Christ on the cross, God was victorious. He will never lose. And he also delivered his people. He's delivered us from our enemies through the death of our judge. <clears throat> Saved us from the power of sin and the grave Delivered us from the clutches of Satan. See, like Samson, Christ was also abandoned by God. And even more so, for Christ called out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But unlike Samson, Christ was not abandoned by his own disobedience. Rather, it was because of our disobedience. Christ was forsaken by God so that we might be accepted by him. And this is why God can be gracious to us. You know, think only of Samson. You know, after the, his hair was shaved by Delilah, it says the Lord left him, and it was only Samson. He only had himself to blame. It was his own foolishness his own sin. But God in his grace did not abandon him completely. After he was humbled, Samson called upon the Lord again, and the Lord heard him, was gracious to him. And Samson, despite all his flaws and weaknesses and even sins, after his death, was received into glory by God's grace. It's because of God's grace in Christ And isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting to know? Never despair of God's mercy. We may feel that because of our sins, God will leave us forever. Beloved, simply humble yourself and call upon the Lord. The Lord will show mercy and grace to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing Psalm 124. We will sing all of the stanzas.